0: Welcome to Pharmacy to Dose, the Critical Care Podcast, a member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network and a proud partner with the ACCP Critical Care PRN. And I'm your host, Nick Peters. And wherever you are and however you are listening, thank you. The Critical Care PRN is dedicated to fostering the role of critical care pharmacists as essential members of the multidisciplinary patient care team. The Critical Care PRN's goal is to optimize drug therapy outcomes by promoting excellence and innovation in clinical pharmacy practice, research, and education. For more information, including how to become a member, go to critprn.accp.com. Again, that website is critprn.accp.com. Now, we announced on the last podcast the the partnership I have formed with the Critical Care PRN, and I'm so excited to work with an organization that has opened just so many doors for me. And today, we're hosting a roundtable and inviting on the Critical Care PRN officers to talk a little bit more about the practice and research network and all that it has to offer. And the second part of this episode focuses on Things we wish we knew during residency, so that should definitely be fun. Yes, at one point, these brilliant guests were also residents, so we're going to pass along some knowledge from things we've uh, likely learned the hard way. Now let's meet who's joining us today. So Susan Smith is a clinical associate professor at the University of Georgia College of Pharmacy and the adjunct clinical assistant professor at the Augusta University UGA Medical Partnership. She practices in a medical surgical ICU at Piedmont Athens Regional, and she is currently the secretary treasurer of the PRN. And the first ever guest on the pod, Mojda Hevner, returns. So Mojda is an associate professor and vice chair for clinical services at the University of Maryland School of Pharmacy. She practices as a MICU clinical pharmacy specialist at the University of Maryland Medical Center, and she is currently the chair elect for the PRN. And then rounding out this tremendous trio is Leslie Hamilton. She's an associate professor of clinical pharmacy and a neurocritical care clinical pharmacist at the University of Tennessee Health Science Center and the University of Tennessee Medical Center. And Leslie is the current chair of the critical care PRN. Well, Susan, Mojda, Leslie, thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you all are doing great. Really appreciate you all carving out some time on the pod. How's everyone doing?
1: Good. Thanks so much for having us. We're
2: pretty excited to be on the pod. It's one of our first times. (laughs)
0: Do we have some first timers here? Is that what I'm hearing? Oh, yes. So we we like to mix the OGs and some of the new and get a nice new flavor here. Like we were saying in the intro, I think this is going to be really great. I think this roundtable is going to be awesome. So to be honest, I feel like we got enough stuff. Let's kind of dive right in head first here. Um, So Leslie, let's start with you for a second, because when we talked about in the intro, we really wanted to talk about the critical care PRN in the beginning and really talk about all the things it offers. It's done great things for all of us. So for our listeners who just may be less kind of familiar, Leslie, I guess kind of in, in blunt terms, what does the PRN do? What's the benefit for listeners who may not be a member right now?
2: I think the best part and what I think about with the PRN is really networking and connecting with the other critical care Pharmacists uh, throughout the country and really throughout the world, because we have members all over from all over the place. So I'm Leslie Hamilton. I'm at, thank you for the introduction, I'm Nick. And I'm the current chair, and I'll be the outgoing chair in October. And Mosha will be our new incoming chair. She's our chair elect. And Susan is our current secretary treasurer, and will very soon be our um, will be our chair elect behind Mosha. So ACCP has multiple PRNs. You can be part of anyone that you want to. And so the critical care PRN, um, talking about our official goals was we really want to provide educational updates to our members and to pharmacists, really work on multi-center research opportunities, which I'll go into in a little bit because we have some new opportunities that are upcoming, and really be an exchange of information with critical care pharmacists through the listserv, through different types of events that we may have Um, and so that's kind of the basic gist of what the PRN is
0: and now this listserv for those who may not be familiar, Leslie, what does this listserv do? Because to me, I honestly think that's one of like the biggest benefits of the PRN. Like, what is this, is this listserv like once you're a member, do you have like access to everything?
2: That's such a great question. So the listserv, um, you can, uh, send out emails if you have a question. So for example if you have a difficult clinical case and you wanna get opinions of other critical care pharmacists from all over the place, you can send out, that, send out that question or it may be a research survey that you want to do, or it may be um, that you're looking for um, people to participate in a new research project with you. Really kind of the sky's the limit. I think that's one of my favorite parts about the PRN is reading some of the commentary. If there's a new drug that's on shortage and how your institution is dealing with that shortage and it's nice because all the listserv is saved into um, a, a database and so you can search it too if you have a question that might have been answered before. So by joining the PRN, um, you have automatic access to the listserv and can enjoy those benefits um, for your PRN membership
0: it's kind of amazing. You're going to ask a clinical question and you may have Bill Dager or Judy Jacoby just dropping knowledge bombs on you on the listserv. So it's unbelievable. And then, you know, you mentioned the archive. I think the best thing with that is those of us who have made like protocols or things, you know, rather than trying to reinvent the wheel, you're able to like search keywords and see if, if there's already some stuff out there for you to kind of uh, uh, as like a starting point for you. So yeah, I, I, all, all great things of, of the PRN itself. Now let's kind of bring in the, the bigger group here and, and Susan, we'll kind of start with you, but I, and I'd like everyone to answer, you know, how did, how did you all get involved with the PRN? What kind of sparked your interest? Because now you all are officers. So clearly like the, you are passionate about the PRN and what it's given to you all. So Susan, we'll start with you. What, how did you get involved in the first place?
1: Yeah, so I um, joined the PRN, actually, as a P4 student um, about eight years ago, and one of my faculty members had encouraged me to go to the ACCP annual meeting and present a poster there, Um, so I decided to join the ACCP, and one of the nice benefits for students is that it offers um, free PRN membership and two PRNs um, with your ACCP membership, and I've had a critical care rotation and was interested in it, so I decided to join the critical care PRN. And then when I attended the meeting, um, that same faculty member brought me to the PRN business meeting, and I got a chance to just kind of see what it was all about, see how it all works, um, see the networking and how well um, different critical care pharmacists just work together um, within the PRN. And it was really just going to that um, business meeting as a P4 student that sold me on the PRN and encouraged me to kind of get more involved um, in committees and now in this leadership position over the years.
0: Let's let's shift the buck here to our current chair, Leslie. Did you were you, have you been involved ever since you were a student, or was your path a little bit different?
2: Um, it's fairly similar, Susan. But I joined when I was actually a PGY one resident, and I have to give credit to my um, where I did my PGY one at Moses Cone in North Carolina. They paid for ACCP membership and also PRN membership for all their residents, and encouraged us to go. To then pay for us to go to the meeting, and they they still do that. Um, and I think that was my introduction to ACCP. I've been a member ever since. And I, um, when I was a PGY1, I knew I was interested in critical care and, and looking at things. And so I remember going to the PR and business meeting and attending some of the focus sessions when I was, um, when I was a resident. And that was really my introduction. And I have to say, because of them getting me involved in residency, I'm still involved today. And I have been ever since I was a resident. So similar to students, not quite as early, but kind of a similar path.
0: Round us out here, Mojda.
2: All right, so
3: um, I got a little bit later of a certain season, but I think probably around the same time as Leslie. Um, I uh, had locked in for PGY-2 in critical care and transplant, kind of like the hybrid residency. Um, and my mentor um, during my PGY-1, Eric Fishy, actually a transplant pharmacist, but um, he was very involved in ACCP and really encouraged me to join ACCP as an organization and essentially told me that I needed to join the critical care PRN, given that I was going to be a PGY2 um, critical care resident, um, but it just opened up so many doors for me. And um, I, I think the first meeting that I attended, I went to the business meeting, not really knowing what to expect, but I was just really impressed with, um, like Leslie said, all of the networking and all of the um, different opportunities that the PRN would give me. So I have also have been hooked ever since.
0: I find two common threads in all of it because my my pathway is very similar. I joined when I was a PGY1 resident because I had a mentor encouraging me, right? So it sounds like we all had somebody... um, you know, involved in mentoring and involved in our success that encouraged us to do this and kind of get involved. Um, and the other thing to me is like mentioning all the networking and things. I think, especially as students, I think most of the time all we think of is like ASHP mid year being the only meeting and like that's the end all be all. Where like to me, I think the ACCP meeting is just miles better in terms of networking and getting to see people and the, the educational content. And so I think it it's just another, another organization to help get involved with, but I think really this one really focuses on like networking and mentorship, at least from from my perspective. And that's why, you know, I'm sure you all feel strongly. That's why I feel so strongly about the organization. So I like that even though some of us took different paths, we're kind of all converging down the same, down the same pathway here. Now, so we kind of have all joined, we've, you know, we've been members for, you know, anywhere from like it sounds like, you know, five to ten years per se, somewhere in that neighborhood. So do any of you have like examples, um, you know, maybe we can start with Mojda, um, examples of how like the PRN helped you or stories of like showing how the PRN membership kind of like paid it, like paid it back to you in a sense.
2: Gosh, I
3: think globally, um, and I've said this before, I think uh, it has led to the networking professionally has led to so many different friendships across the country. Um, and I feel like that has been the greatest benefit that I've gotten through the PRN. Um, a little bit more tangibly, and <laughs> maybe less fluffy. Um, speaking of the LISTSERV uh, earlier, so I, I a couple years ago, I posted a question about this on the LISTSERV and whether people were using it to assess sedation in patients who were paralyzed. Well, that led to a connection with someone I'd never spoken to before um, across the country. And then the development of a team that um, would, I would then work for a couple of years together um, to do a systematic review and meta-analysis that we just published. Um, so it took many years, but uh, definitely a tangible benefit that I've seen from um, being a member of the PRN and being an active member. Um, I mean, the other thing definitely is just, I guess, the leadership opportunities that I've had and how much I've learned from those experiences. Um, there are so many opportunities within the committees to serve, you know, either helping with different tasks within the committees, but also, um, you know, formal committee chairing. And, um, some of the things that I've, the best things I've gotten out of those experiences are actually through my failures. Um, I think the, I remember the, um, I was a research committee chair and I had my first conference call, but I didn't realize that there was a, an attendee limit on the conference call. So shortly after the meeting started, I started having, you know, dozens of emails come in from people who were like, I'm trying to get into the meeting, I can't get in. And I was nervous because it was my first meeting that I was leading. But on top of that, I was getting slammed with these emails and obviously had done, you know, made a big mistake. But um, I feel like in those moments are when we learn the most. So um, it was a great experience for me to kind of be resilient and run that meeting and, um, make it happen, even though it was an oops moment for me. Um, and so kind of along those lines, I also think the other, um, aspect or another example that I would say for me has been a benefit of being a member of the PRN and being a leader within the PRN, um, is that we often talk about how our involvement in professional societies is a voluntary thing. Um, it's outside of our day-to-day jobs, right? But, Um, I don't think we, we talk as much about how the activities that we do or the things that we learn from our professional society involvement and leadership, we can actually take back to our day-to-day job and apply those skills. Um, and so I think that has been a huge benefit for me as well.
0: Susan, what about you?
1: Yeah, so I think, um, One of the most tangible ways that I've benefited from the PRN is through some of the funding opportunities that the PRN offers. Um, I've been really impressed by just the number of funding opportunities the PRN offers for um, trainees as well as practitioners, and I've benefited directly from a research grant from the PRN, which has enabled me to kind of branch into a um, new type of research doing a pharmacokinetic study that I didn't have experience with before, and that was really made possible by the PRN, something I wouldn't have done otherwise. Um, I think in terms of um, some other benefits, really what Moshe was saying, the mentorship, the networking um, are really unmatched. And I'm so excited to, fingers crossed, return to an in-person meeting this year where we can really um, have that networking that I know I've been craving over the last couple of years. Um, I think I also have a similar story to Moshe in terms of leadership opportunities, I had the opportunity to chair the communications committee, um, really just a couple years um, out of my residency training. Um, this was my first real leadership opportunity um, as a pharmacist instead of a student. And so just learning how to do things like run a meeting and how to um, coordinate a group um, of volunteers was great learning opportunity for me and something I really enjoyed. And that's led to um, the leadership position that I'm in now. I think one other um, really cool benefit that I've seen from the PRN are opportunities to reconnect and stay connected with other people in critical care. I know, for example, Leslie was one of my faculty members and mentors and it's really cool to reconnect with her um, now as a peer um, and be able to stay in touch and keep up with what each other are doing and um, really have that additional networking. And I can imagine um, if you were to, Change jobs, move to different places. That being able to come back to the PRN and stay connected with um, all of your critical care friends is a um, PRN's a great way to do that.
0: If we're if we're playing bingo, I feel like the phrase we need to add there is "pharmacy's a small world." I feel like a bell needs to ding. Right? It's like the classic phrase, but it's so true. It's such a small world, and um, I mean, th- even just thinking about you three, right? Yes, I like. Moja and I worked together on the East Coast, but realistically, I'd never really worked with Susan down in Georgia. I'd never really worked with Leslie in Tennessee, right? But we, we know each other through networking through these organizations and things. So Leslie, round us out here. What what stories can you, uh, can you share for us?
2: Well, I don't know if Moja remembers this, but she and I spoke together. I don't know if you remember this back. It's been several years ago. Um, we, there was a focus session and I talked about pregnancy and critical illness. And I think, Moja, you talked about geriatrics, I think, if I remember correctly. And I didn't really know her really at all. We just happened to be speaking in the same session. And it was, And I, I kind of knew who she was. But it's so funny since we've gotten to work together for the past few years. And I was thinking back recently. I was like, oh, yeah, we did do that talk together. I just didn't know her very well. So, yes, the networking, um, like Susan said, if she hadn't mentioned it yeah, we, um, she was a student of mine and I worked closely with her in a student organization. Um, something uh, maybe that we haven't mentioned yet is uh, Moja talked about research and so did Susan in terms of using the listserv for research. I used it for um, helping with the clinical protocol at my institution. We were moving, I, I'm a neuro ICU practitioner, and we were moving to peripheral administration of hypertonic saline and we were having some pushback from our nursing um, policy-wise in terms of administration. And so I asked for um, policies and input from uh, over the listserv and got tons of them, maybe 15 or 20 that I was able to collate. And in addition to literature, I can be like, look, hey, this institution, this institution, here's their policies. And it really helps me convince our um, our institution to change our policy about hypertonic saline administration peripherally. So that's something that um, it can help you if you're trying to change something at like your own institution.
0: What, what a great example, right? That sounds, I think the listeners are probably listening like, Wow, they pushed back on giving peripheral hypertonic, but that was a big deal. Like five, like in in that same time frame. Same with peripheral pressers, right? If you if you mentioned doing that, I feel like people looked at you like you just tossed a baby in the hallway or something. So I just want to peel back for our younger listeners here that like that was a that was at one time controversial in the, in the pharmacy world giving giving peripheral hypertonic here. Um, well we've hit a lot on all of the awesome things that the PRN has to has to offer, what it's done for us, kind of how long we've been members. Um, but for the listeners who are like, okay, that's cool. Like, of course, the officers had great experiences. And of course you have, but like, what are some unique opportunities or experiences that the PRN is offering now that'll, you know, really give some benefits to these, to the listeners here um, about, you know, the PRN?
3: Um, I can kick us off with that. So i um, really excited. We have a number of critical care related um, activities and sessions going on at the upcoming annual meeting. Um, so obviously we have our critical care PRN focus session. And um, that's actually Saturday, October 15th, um, at one, from 1- 145 to 315 um, Pacific time. Um, and I say the date and time because I want to make sure that everybody gets flights. Um, late Friday night at the latest, maybe Saturday morning at the latest, um, make sure that you're there in time. I think it's going to be a great talk. Um, so the theme is back to the future of critical care pharmacotherapy. And I know that I will be watching back to the future again before, um, this session happens. Um, but that'll, you'll see that theme across the talks, um, in the program. Um, we have Andrea Sakura, who's going to be talking about critical care pharmacy practice models of the future. Um, which, will, you know, she's done a lot of work with that in recent years. Uh, Melissa Thompson-Basson is going to be giving a talk called Great Scott is there a role for therapeutic drug monitoring in patients receiving extracorporeal therapies. Um, and then finally Todd brothers is going to be speaking about, Uh, The future is now digital health and artificial intelligence in the ICU. So a lot of forward-thinking themes here. Um, We're going to keep it very exciting with that Back to the Future theme. So um, really hope that you guys can attend that. Um, And then, of course, we'll also have our business meeting for the PRN, uh, which is scheduled on Sunday, October 16th from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. Um, And I want to mention that that is open not only to current members, but also prospective members. So if you have any interest in potentially joining and kind of just want to scope things out and see what we do, um, think about getting involved, please feel free to join. Um, And we'll be talking about the highlights of what our committees and our members have done over the last year and celebrating with awards. Um, And we'll also have some time for um, drinks and appetizers and networking as well. Um, and then I, I just want to give a final uh, one plug as well for it's not officially sponsored by the PRN but I think you know we have some critical care PRN members who are chairing these sessions um the clinical reason, reasoning series uh so we, there's one on uh for BCCCP uh, being chaired by Melissa Thompson Baston and um she's going to be taking a deep dive into some of the forgotten pathways um And therapeutics for sepsis should be very interesting. And then uh, there's also a session for BCPS chaired by Audrey Littlefield. um, And that's going to be sort of updates in atrial fibrillation management and anticoagulation um, in really controversial settings. So both are very relevant to our critical care members. um, And uh, I know many of our members are dual BCCCP, BCPS certified, so um, could be of interest to. A lot of people. So I definitely urge people to attend both of
0: those. The, the, the meetings, like the critical care, both the the business meeting and then the focus session, like those are two of the best things for coming to the meeting. Like the the networking you get when you're just in the room kind of catching up with people across the country. I, I honestly think it's one of the best parts of the meeting. And most of those are some heavy hitters who are presenting. Like those are you you all got the cream of the crop. So that's gonna be that's gonna be really good. And and for the listeners, there's gonna be, you know, I'll be at the meeting and there'll be some fun stuff involved whether it's um you know um, uh, some sort of meetup afterwards there'll definitely be a a conference correspondent episode um with uh anthony hawkins of course um but there'll be lots of recaps there so hopefully if that all if 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 mojda's cell for the annual meeting didn't get you hopefully maybe just seeing me might entice you although mojda i might have just taken a few people away from registering so apologies in advance (laughs) um so I like that you really hit on the clinical reasoning series as well. I think we have some vets here, myself included. If you're looking for a way to get um, recertification credits, it's a really, it's a really easy, easy way if you want to avoid um, doing those PSAPs. Um, so Mojda hit on a lot of things. Leslie, is there anything to kind of round out any other kind of unique things that um, we want to touch on?
2: Yeah, we have some great initiatives coming up, and one of them is going to be launched um, during the annual meeting this year. And I'll second Moja because a lot of us haven't seen each other in person in a few years due to the pandemic. We're, we're going all out for food and drink. So be excited for our business meetings. I think it should be a, um, a good time. Uh, but on Monday afternoon um, at, the, at the Global Conference in October, Uh, Paul Reynolds will be sending out some more information forthcoming uh, to everyone, but the research committee is finally going to debut their multi-center research um, network, basically, committee that that, that they are looking for um, people to come with proposals and to be interested in working with multi-centers to to accomplish, um, you know, larger projects. We have some grant funding that will go along with that, that people can apply for, and so Paul will be working with the social media committee uh, to get some more information about that out and more info will be forthcoming. But I think that's gonna be a great opportunity to be involved in multi-center research. Another new initiative we have going on this year, we have an even more active than it has been, social media presence with the PRN. And a new initiative in the past several months has been a Twitter journal club. So if you are active on Twitter, then you can follow that. I think our next one is on August 10th. um, So you can watch out for that and um, see see what's going on with the, the Twitter journal club. I do want to follow up as oh, Susan... Quick, quickly,
0: sorry, Leslie, quickly, just for those wondering, the the Twitter handle of the Critical Care PRN, it is at ACCP Crit PRN. Um, so just one more time, at ACCP Crit PRN. Sorry, Leslie, I just wanted to make sure people knew what they were looking for. Continue.
2: Perfect. Thank you. you I think you're a much uh, more prolific Twitter user than I am. <laughs> I appreciate that. The last thing that I was going to mention, um, and Susan kind of alluded to this, about grants that we have available. So the Merit and Fit programs, which are research-based programs, we sponsor a a member of our PRN each year to attend that. We have travel awards for students and for residents. We also have various research awards. And as Susan mentioned, she was one of the recipients of of one of those grants. Um. So we, you know, we, we get money from our members for for our PRN membership dues, but we also want to give it back to you all in terms of grants and awards and that sort of stuff. And Susan, I was hoping you'd finish off by talking a little bit about the newsletter since you were our communications chair for a while, um, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So um, the PRN
1: has a biannual newsletter, um, so it comes out in August and um, January, February each year. Um, and has a lot of great information. So it has updates on what all the committees in the PRN are doing, so it's great just to kind of hear more about what the PRN is doing and all their initiatives. Um, There also are um, some clinical pearls, some research pearls, sometimes a precepting pearl. Um, um, We talk about guideline updates and summarize some of the new literature over the previous six months. um, and much more as well. So there's really some great information there. We encourage you um, to check it out. The upcoming newsletter will also have some highlights of the sessions that might be of most interest um, to critical care peer and members at the annual meeting. So definitely encourage you to look at the newsletter when that comes out in a few weeks.
0: I mean, the newsletter is fantastic. The social media committee, not only are they, are they doing the journal clubs now, but they have like the journal watch and things. So for, for us all, you know, the, the audio listeners, right, we have the literature review series here, but the, um, the PRN will, they have monthly themes and they'll release new and they'll tweet new articles with PRN members featured. So again, just all ways to try to make your life a little bit easier in the world of critical care and pharmacy. Um, So wow, I mean those are, those are really, really awesome things. Um, now we will, we'll come back to the PRN here, um, kind of towards the end of the episode, but I think this is kind of the perfect time to kind of make our transition into the second part of this episode, things I wish I'd known before starting residency, but first a word from QXMD. QXMD builds mobile solutions that drive evidence-based care in clinical practice. So check out Read for easy access to research personalized for you, Calculate for over 500 easy-to-use decision support tools, and Learn to earn CME online in minutes per day. Try them today at qxmd.com/apps. Again, that is qxmd.com/apps. So things we wish we'd known before starting residency, this feels very timely as we're kind of hitting this mid-July. Tons of people are starting new. So let's, I think we need to start first with the elephant in the room and let's talk about work-life balance. And how, what we can do in residency with that, how to do it, when to do it. Is there a thing as protected time in residency, right? So let's, Mojo, why don't you, why don't you lead us off here in terms of, of, the, of the conundrum of work-life balance in residency?
2: I don't think there's a,
3: a magical answer to this, um, but my, my tip for work-life balance would, for residents would really be to make sure that they are doing the basic things. Um, eating, sleeping, drinking water, hanging out with friends, talking to other human beings or animals are fine too sometimes. Um, and I know it sounds kind of ridiculous to say that, but I, I, I can tell you that I've had residents and probably myself at times have had issues with, you know, one or more of those things during residency and even beyond. Um, so I think making a concerted effort to kind of maintain normal life, um, during that are super busy during residency. Um, But then I think beyond that, it's really important to uh, proactively make sure that people are um, doing the things that brought them joy before residency. So the hobbies, um, the different activities, and it doesn't need to be, you know, my activity may be different from uh, Nick's activity or Leslie's or Susan's, but um, I think picking the thing that really means something to you um, and making sure that you're doing that consistently throughout the year, it may not be to the same degree that you were doing it before, but, um, some kind of compromise to make sure that that's in your life. Um, for me personally, I love running and I know Nick, you do too. Um, and I also love hanging out with my friends and I love going out dancing or I used to at least. Um, and fortunately for me, my re- my co-residents also enjoyed those activities. So that was a nice, um, I guess, work-life balance because it was a residency class bonding type of thing. Um, but also, I got to do the things that I really loved.
0: Susan, do you have any, any words of wisdom for us?
1: Yeah, so I um, have a bit of a story here. So I very clearly remember one of my PGY2 residency interviews. And I was asked during that interview about what my philosophy was on work-life balance. And my answer (laughs) was, I don't believe in it, at least during residency. (laughs) And let me just tell you, that was 100% the wrong answer. (laughs) So I um, had the mindset in residency that this was just a finite period and I was going to work, 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 and that was going to be my only focus. And life could uh, wait until after I finished residency. But that, just, that mindset really sets you up um, to become burned out and not to really get out of the residency what you should get out of it. So I encourage you to not do what I did <laughs> during residency. And I will say that life has a way of sneaking up. Um, and sometimes, uh, you know, you have to have some balance there, which happened to me during residency and things happen and you have to make some time for life. Um, but I encourage you to, you know, just schedule time for yourself, like exactly what Moshe was saying. Um, If there's something that brings you joy and makes you happy, make sure you don't lose that during your residency years and be intentional with scheduling some time for that.
0: Leslie, round us out here.
2: Um, One thing I will say, and I even encourage our current residents that I work with at my institution, leave your office. Like, don't just stay in the office and stay there late at night, even if you still have some work to do. You can like go home, get some dinner, you have to eat, like Moja said, um, and then you can finish it up at home because we have, you know, residents sometimes, you know, they're not leaving till late in the office, so, so go home. Um, I also would second um, what Moja said in um, terms of exercising, and it may not be running, it may be walking or taking a some sort of fitness class, but you need a release um, with of all the stress and you know things that you're going through. So uh, find something that works for you and try to do get some exercise in, plus eating and drinking all the basic stuff that Moja mentioned.
0: And this is coming from. At least I can speak for myself. Work-life balance is something that I work on every single day. It's always one of my personal goals. When we have like our annual reviews, I think I'm. I see there's a lot of head shaking on the call here, so I think it's something that that all of us agree with. Um, And it's hard. I think the hardest thing is when you're a resident. You feel like you have to say yes, yes, yes to everything, right? But then what I think that sets you up for is you do, you know, one or two years of that and then you're a normal practicing pharmacist and you're like, wow, like, oh, like, I should have more to do. So you kind of overload yourself, and I think it creates this kind of burnout cycle. And so, yeah, are you going to be able to do 90 minutes of Orange Theory every day? I mean, probably not realistically, right? But can you work out for 30 minutes or even 20 minutes or something like that and still keep that, that kind of fire? I think those are all really good words of advice that I'm sure more than just residents um, could listen and, and take note of here. Now, this is possibly a controversial topic here, is there anything that you all would have done differently during residency? We'll kind of flip our order here, and Leslie, let's start with you.
2: Depending on um, our residents our students who may be listening who are interested in residency, uh, depending on the institution, you may have a month that you have um, set aside for research. Um, and I did not take the best advantage of my research month when I was a resident, and because you're so excited to have a, a little bit of a break, all your co residents are in the office, you have you might be applying for PGY twos, whatever else you're doing, but that month is set aside for you to work on your research. So being diligent, getting your research done if you ha- do have that protected time and not not wasting it. it would be the one thing that I wish I'd probably done a little differently in residency.
0: Susan, what about you?
2: Well, I've been
1: learning from this call, and I should have taken Leslie's advice and left the office. <laughs> um, I did spend a lot of time in my office. Um, but really, um, I I struggle to come up with an answer for what I, I wish I had done differently. As you can tell from my work-life balance, I was all in with residency. I loved it. I felt if my... My husband hadn't felt very strongly otherwise. I probably would have thought about doing another PDY 2 in a different area. Um, <laughs> I loved it. Um, and not to say you didn't if you would have done something differently. Um, but I felt like, you know, I um, really tried to make the most out of the experience and take on any extra learning opportunities that I could, um, which you have to be careful about, like we've kind of mentioned. Um, but I think, you know, Learning from that and maybe thinking about which of those opportunities would have the biggest benefit for you might have been something I could have had a little bit more um, intentionality thinking through.
0: Yeah, it's kind of the scenario there where, you know, it's not saying no to everything, but if you get three offers, maybe choosing the one that's most important or that you're most interested in, or maybe two, right? Maybe just not saying yes to all three of them um, when you're a resident. Because the thing, the funny thing is now in July and August, everything seems so far away. You're just going to say yes to everything, right? And then suddenly November, December, January hits and it's like, uh-oh, this is, everything's come and do all at once.
2: <laughs> uh, exactly.
0: Now, a, a question, and this is something that I try to talk to like students and residents that I work with is, you know, what are things that we can do in residency to help us after residency? So the two examples that that I always think of for myself, so I had a mentor, Dane Schiltz. He had a, he was an internal med pharmacist, and he had this. I thought it was the most massive zip drive of all time of all these different articles. They were all ordered and categorized. And I was like, that's amazing. And I went to my folder and it was just the downloaded file names moved to one big article folder list. And so the one thing that I would say is if you're looking at articles, save them, create some sort of naming system for you. So that way, when you inevitably get questions on that one article that you're referencing, you can easily go back and look at it. Um, the other thing that at least helped me was when you do Your topic discussions. um, Type them out so you can save them and you can reuse them. Work smarter, not harder. There. So, did did any of you all kind of have any any ideas as to things that the residents could do to kind of help them succeed after residency?
2: I guess I can start. Mine is technologically related. Um, uh, A little bit, a little different though than what you mentioned. Nick is. When you are finishing up residency, I will um, want to remind you that your email account is going to go away. And I, um, oh, quickly!
0: Declined. How quickly does it go away?
2: Well, it depends. Sometimes, if you finish on June 30th, it's probably going to be gone by July 1st.
0: That's my um, experience. Yep, it's you got yeah, about a day. Yep,
2: right. So um, don't. Um, take it down to the wire like I did and maybe not realize that and real and, and try to move things to either one a different OneDrive account or a different personal email. So just remember your email is not going to stay forever. My other other advice is uh, for post-residency is back up everything. So if you have a flash drive, if you're using OneDrive, I know sometimes our residents um, use OneDrive and sometimes OneDrive fails. It just fails sometimes. Having hard copies and having backups in places and backups of backups we're all pharmacists. We like to be prepared, um, but those are some technological things that I have learned the hard way that I would give as advice to residents. So I will tag on to that
3: because I think um, my uh, my advice kind of um, is related. So back when I did my residency, and I think when um, Leslie did hers too, and probably Susan. Um, I had printed everything out. So I didn't really save everything electronically. Um, And a lot of like the protocols and guidelines and monographs and papers and things that I had like printed or worked on um, was all in like a box when I left residency, (laughs) which then sat in my garage um, in my house, uh, gathering dust for many years until it flooded. And then all of that stuff went away. So Um, I think it's probably not so much of an issue, but I, I think I agree with Leslie, you know, just make sure that the work that you've done during residency is saved very securely in some way um, electronically, you know, with backups and things, because you never know when you're going to want to refer back to that. Um, The easiest thing to take on as like a new initiative when you start a new job is something that you've already done and you'd be surprised how institutions love, you know, it's, Like, you don't want to reinvent the wheel. So if another institution has already done something, it's great to just be like, I actually implemented this as a resident. Um, We could consider this, maybe adapt it um, and implement it. So it's nice to have a lot of that detail um, in the work that has already been done. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel necessarily. Um, And then uh, a little bit different, um, but my, my other piece of advice is really try to have your research project done uh, early like in the spring well before graduation with the goal of submission around that time Um, because uh, not to be pessimistic but oftentimes it's not accepted at the first journal that it's submitted to and from my own experience as well as um, residents that I've worked with um, over the years uh, it's just really challenging to get manuscripts accepted after residency because just get, getting your research team together after you no longer work at the institution and just, um, it's just really, really challenging. So it's nice to get that wrapped up and ideally actually published before you're done with your residency if possible.
1: So I can definitely um, relate to some of these ideas. I had these very beautifully organized hanging file folders of all of my um, articles that I had read throughout the year and wanted to reference in the future and um, they have been looked at approximately zero times since residency because they are in hanging file folders and not saved um, as PDFs, like Nick suggested so I definitely uh, would support that recommendation. I think something else that you could start doing during residency to help you out afterwards is to really learn how to schedule your time effectively. I found that especially um, once I started, um, you know, in my post-residency job, that your time can very quickly become filled up with meetings on your calendar. Um, And so being really intentional to block off time to work on projects um, or to do committee work or whatever it is and really have that time scheduled Um, and also schedule time for yourself. Um, If there are things that you you enjoy, things you want to do for yourself, make sure you have that time on your schedule. And then when you have time scheduled, be really intentional with how you're using it and be completely engaged in that activity. So if I have time scheduled to work on a writing project, then I'm going to close my email, shut my office door, um, put my phone away so I'm not tempted to look at you know, Twitter or text messages and really be engaged in that time that you have scheduled. And conversely, if you have time scheduled um, to do something in your personal life, don't be checking your work email um, while you're out to dinner with friends. Um, so I think just scheduling time and then being really engaged in what that time is for would be a, is a great skill to start in residency and to continue afterwards.
0: Yeah, the, the two things to add on to that, to not checking email, I have my email alerts off. Because I hate when email is used for urgent notifications. Right? There's no need to be to be checking, you know, some email at nine o'clock when you're out to to dinner with friends. And when we were a resident, we we played the game. The first person that that uh, that talked work work talk had to buy the first round for people. So that was a way to help encourage non non work talk and and get out of the the kind of pharmacy world here. So yeah, that's all great advice. All great advice. Um, well, this has been really good let's kind of wrap up here and let's kind of give let's give the listeners the sell. Why should they join the PRN and then any other kind of parting words of of wisdom that that you all might have had. Um Moja, let's go ahead and and have you uh bat lead off here.
3: Um so I got a little inspiration today during my Peloton um boot, biking boot camp that I did with Justin and she said um what's more important, the destination or the journey, it's actually the company. So I think my parting words are, um, I think that's what Critical Care PRN is so wonderful about, you know, it's really about um, getting together with people who are like-minded, have the same passions um, about critical care and do, you know, kind of a similar job and kind of get what we do day in and day out. Um, So it's great to have just that connection Um, and I love that the PRN brings that together. So anybody who's looking to make a personal connection, um, and you know, that's professional and could be personal also. Um, I think this is a great place to start on a personal and lighthearted, um, note of my parting words of wisdom. Um, I would highly recommend against chopping really spicy peppers and then taking your contacts out. I also did that, uh, this morning. And so I know unrelated, but also very, very important to keep in mind for life in
0: general. Hey, we need we need life tips here. Uh, we 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 get all forms of tips here, so I love that. The real question is, what pepper was it?
3: I like don't even remember what it was <laughs> called, but it was very, very small, very, very green, which I feel like both of those are bad because the smaller, like the more concentrated, the and the spices more green, are. the more spicy. And the yeah, green, yeah. yeah. So um, I know it sounds ridiculous, but. Um, lesson learned.
0: How's our eye doing? It's okay. <laughs> it's it's I mending. I didn't have to go to the hospital. <laughs> yeah. Um, Susan, why don't we have you go next?
1: Yeah. So I think the critical care PRN just offers, um, you know, just such a wide array of opportunities. So I think, um, you know, we have the list listserv with opportunities to find collaborators to, um, promote research projects, to get clinical questions answered, share protocols. Um, We have the newsletter and share a lot of information there. We have all these different opportunities for grants and for awards. And I think that then having this amazing networking environment on top of that um, whole platform, it's just just such a great organization to be a part of that you really get – a little bit of everything professionally and personally, I'm truly making friends through the PRN. So um, I think there are just so many great opportunities for everyone. I think something else really cool that I've seen grow in the PRN over recent years is um, how much students, residents and fellows um, have an active role in the PRN and are really supported by it. I have personally found it really cool to be able to have some small mentorship roles for students and residents that are outside of my own institution. Um, I think it's a really great opportunity for trainees to get involved, but also for us as practitioners to help mold um, the next generation of critical care pharmacists.
0: All right, Leslie, our chair, round us out here.
2: I consider ACCP to be my pharmacy home um, in terms of. In terms of where I, the meetings that I enjoy going to, the people that I really enjoy catching up with. So I'll first put a plug in for ACCP. If you haven't thought of being a member for AC, uh, of ACCP, the program is fantastic. They um, are really an advocate for our profession and advancing all types of uh, clinical pharmacy. The PRN is a bargain as well. It's not that much money. It's less than 30 bucks um, for a whole year to be a part of of the PRN, and you get all these opportunities, um, Moshe and Susan have mentioned um, a lot of those. But my last piece of parting wisdom is to get involved. It doesn't matter what type of organization it is. It can be a committee member, um, a mentor, whatever whatever it is, because it's important for us to get back to our profession, because all these people um, who taught us have given back to us as we've been trainees along the way, and now we're all in the position that we can get back give back to them so just get involved find what your passion is it may be social media it may be um, research whatever it is we have a home for you and lots of our committees and um, and we'd love to have you as a member
0: And of course, all are welcome. You know, all pharmacists alike. But the big, the big plug here is students, residents, and fellows. You all have a very big discount on joining ACCP. So, um, if if you are a student, resident, or fellow, now's the time to take advantage of these professional organizations before they start charging you the big bucks. Once you're a a non-resident or fellow and kind of just a full practicing pharmacist here. So um, really good things. If you're looking to join the membership, you'll go to accp.com slash membership slash join. Um Wow. Um, Ladies, this was such a treat. I I greatly appreciate all of you joining us now for the listeners who may want to be getting in touch. So two of our officers are on Twitter here. So we have Susan at S.E. Smith Farm D and Mojda at Hevner Farm D. Now, Leslie is not, but remember the Critical Care PRN is. So if you tag them, I'm sure that they can find a way to reach out to Leslie and pass on whatever information um, that they have here. So I really, really appreciate all of you all joining us today. Thank you so much. And thanks for passing along all this um, incredible knowledge um, to, to all the listeners here. No, nothing to upload today in terms of reference documents. Hopefully you all enjoy listening to this episode as much as we did creating it. Remember, if you're looking to reach out to me, Twitter at pharmacy to dose, T O dose, or via email pharmacy to dose at gmail.com. And until next time, I'm Nick Peters, and this is Pharmacy to Dose, the Critical Care Podcast.